Hi everyone, I'm April. And I'm Christine. Before we get started, we wanted to warn you that the following content contains adult language, activities, and violence, and may not be suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Southern Discomfort. This is one of the most unique podcasts on the internet. Southern tales of the weird, wild, mysterious, unusual, voodoo, Voodoo. cryptids, hauntings. Are you intrigued yet? This is Southern Discomfort. Southern Discomfort. And now, your hosts, April and Christine. Hey everybody, we're back. Welcome to Southern Discomfort. And I am your host, April, and my co-host and favorite sister, Christine. Yes, we're back. It's It's time to get uncomfortable. She's my only sister, so I don't know. Nobody else knows that. Except for our favorite. But I am, I would be the favorite if there were another. Absolutely, yes. I I feel sure. Can I tell you real quick, before we get started, I've gotten some shit about not knowing cake by the ocean and what that meant in our previous episode. Really? Yeah, that's funny. People were laughing at me and making fun of me. I guess I take things too literal. We've um, we've gotten to that age where we're just not as cool as we used to be. <laughs> No, and I also feel like I need to say this, too, because back in our Southern Cryptids episodes, we lumped Missouri in there with the MoMA Monster, and come to find out they're not considered a Southern state. I didn't know that. Um, I just, this is what my frame of reference was. They're in the SEC. but then um my husband reminded me that they're like they just came over with you know not that long ago yeah so it's like that's funny because i just i didn't think twice about it i was just like yep (laughs) i mean they're in the sec they gotta be like sure yeah i just wanted to get ahead of that before i haven't um caught any crap behind that but Okay, sorry if you listen from Missouri and you're like, we're not a southern state. But evidently... Full disclosure. Right. Evidently, there is a little bit of controversy over who is in the southern states. Um, Well, who's in question? Well, if you Google it, Delaware comes up. Which mm, no right 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 okay so there's that's a that. hard no right um and I guess I don't ever question it because we're from the deep south so we're like definitely in it we're definitely there but then um, some people argue for and against Texas I've just always considered it the southern state um, Florida is also in question. I would say Texas before either or in before either of those. Yeah, really before Florida. Oh, yeah. Well, 
I take because that Florida back because get, the panhandle like, of Florida is very southern. Okay, and even but, down like the coast to into um wherever UF is is it a gain? It's is yeah. it Gainesville? Uh, yeah, I, th- mm. I think it. I is. think so. Yeah, because Tallahassee is, is FSU Florida's, is yeah. Tallahassee. Yeah, yeah, Gainesville. Okay, so um, but but okay, but. But geographically, the state of Florida goes is south. Like, can you get any southern than that? That's the thing, right? No, that's true. I know. By that logic, is true. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And that should I didn't. This is not going to be an episode about that. I just and I didn't even mean to spark this whole thing, debate. But there is like there there are. Um, there are debates out there are debates out there if you look online if you go to look i just taken a lot of it for granted well and i know i've told you this you you know but um so when i moved to northeast tennessee um and worked with people in virginia and north carolina closely they would I would, they had different expressions, obviously, and that's a regional thing, you know, whenever you're, um, you know, you have different, ex- uh, what am I trying to say? Um, expressions, expressions, Words. like phrases that, you know, are regionally known. But then if you come in as an, um, as a newbie and you don't really, I, there was one that really confused me, but anyway, I won't get into that, but, um, <laughs> And then when I finally understood what it meant, I was like, oh, I see. I see what you mean. But we say it like the, a, a totally it means something totally different when you say that where I'm from. And they were like, welcome to the South. And I was like, <laughs> mm, uh, OK, definitely not my first day in the South. Right. <laughs> like I'm from as far south as you can go. Right. That's funny. I just wanted to point that out. Uh, yeah. Kind of went on that tangent. But as you said, yeah, get ready to get uncomfortable. So, but so before what are we, we drinking? Uh, yeah, before we get uncomfortable, part of that is um, the drink du jour. And mine is a voodoo punch. It's another one. It's another sweet drink, just like cake by the ocean. Kind of a, um, but this one is. Voodoo punch, so it has um has a lot of rum in it. So it has banana rum, coconut rum, pineapple juice. I put um I have some siesta key toasted co- coconut rum, so I put some of that in there as well. So along with the Malibu, and I put some food coloring in it to make it black, and did a little a sugar a black sugar coated rim on the top. And, and it looks sweet. dark and yes, it's foreboding. That goes it's along well with our topic of conversation tonight. Foreboding, yes. And because I'll let you reveal where we are tonight, but that should be a little foreshadowing. Yeah, so we're back in New Orleans. <laughs> um, if you couldn't already tell, and I actually have a. Um, Dixie IPA. Well, it's a little IPA voodoo doll. So if you don't know by now where this is headed, you will soon. 
But this is a, um, so Dixie Beer was founded in New Orleans, just real quick, in 1907. Which is never real quick, by the way. Right, no. When I say real quick, you know, go ahead and just, like, get ready for two or three side stories and, you know, addendums and, you know, we'll, we'll eventually get back on track. But, so Dixie Brewing Company... Um, we all refer to it as Dixie Beer here. We don't ever say, I'm drinking a Dixie Brewing Company beer. We say Dixie Beer because it's basically the neighborhood beer of New Orleans, even though we're not in New Orleans proper. Right. Um, it, it's still considered a, you know, it's the neighborhood beer. So anyway, not to, you know. Belabor that point. With that. <laughs> so um, Dixie Brewing Company was founded in 1907. And was in operation all the way until Hurricane Katrina. After that, they outsourced um, brewing to other states and uh, would have it imported back in to sell locally. So it never went away after Katrina, but all the way up until, I think, 2019, um, it, it was outsourced until the new brewery opened and so now it's fully local again but it never went and the beer never left the shelves because um do you know where they outsourced where it went yeah so it went to wisconsin originally and then it made its way back to memphis i think a year before the new brewery opened um, but so I think Wisconsin, most of those years and then briefly in Memphis and then fully restored back into New Orleans. Okay. Well, welcome and back, is, Dixie. Yeah. Welcome back. It's good stuff. I mean, I love their, um, their, what is their Dixie beer label? I love that. Yeah. And, um, they're going to change is, it. I hear. What's that? They're going to change the labeling. Yeah. the. <laughs> And that's a um, yeah different discussion. point of contention right now, um, due to the the connotations that Dixie carries with it. Right. Um, but yeah, that's true. They're gonna change it. So I think a lot of people are rushing to like buy up, um, like to have a stockpile of the, the Dixie name, so they don't lose that. You right. know. Right. Um. Because it is a it is a long time staple household name in New Orleans, so New, it, you know it will change. Obviously, all of the face of that. Yeah. Um, I'm not a fan of IPA. This one's pretty okay. It's um. <laughs> We're okay. We're okay. <laughs> I'm thinking that. And it's all, it's because that's my palate. I don't like IPA. Yeah. I just don't. It's too hoppy for me. But this one is uh 4.7 ABV, and it says on the can, which um, I'm gonna post a picture to Instagram, but it says soft and vengeful, and this is. From the Dixie website, uh, ever dreamed of using a voodoo doll for your darkest fantasies? Well, stop that. <laughs> Instead, sacrifice this hazy little IPA by drinking it down and enjoying the sweet, soft doll of a beer. Oh, I like it. Sassy, too. I like it. A little sassy. I tried to find my cup. Then it was the flashing light. 
from um and I can't even remember the bar in the French Quarter that has like the Grim Reaper outside. Oh, that's Spirit. Yes, yes, yes. I tried to find that cup, but I couldn't find it. Boo. I love those cups. Yeah. I don't know where ours are. I'm sure they're packed away somewhere, but um that's a good drink too because I can't I guess it is it called spirits the drink i'm not sure it's electric it's like bright blue and you can get it with the jalapeno on the bottom yes which makes you drink more liquor which is Mm -hmm. genius yeah it's yummy stuff i don't remember what's in it or any of that you can go goggle um spirits of bourbon and you can find all that fun information out that would have been cool but anyway all right let's dive into all that being said Okay, so tonight um, we're going back to October 17th of 2006. Zach Bowen jumped to his death from the roof of the Omni Royal Orleans Hotel in the French Quarter. And when police arrived, they, uh, when in assessing the body, they uh, discovered a plastic bag in his pocket that contained dog tags and a handwritten note on loose leaf paper that said for police only. I don't Um, even remember this. I'm just going to start off and say that. Exactly. I don't either. That's crazy. 70 miles away. I don't even didn't even, but then that was in the wake of hurricane Katrina that Every the whole state. Well, you also just, ha- you had a a little baby then. I did well. Yeah, no, she yeah. she was two weeks old when Katrina hit. Yeah, so see, you had a baby, baby, even in the next year. Yeah, and um, I I know we know someone. We're really close to someone in NOPD, and I want to say I've asked him about this. But maybe I haven't, and um, I don't think he was able to give me any information. But anyway, I digress. Um, I just want to throw that out there, that this is so wild, and it's going to be such a crazy story as it unfolds that I didn't, I totally missed this. Yeah, it's kind of hard to imagine that being so close that we, neither one of us knew anything about it. But there's a there's a side note to that, which I'll get to later. Um, but so... The note said this was not an accident. I had to take my life to pay for the one I took or the life I took. Um, And it gives the address to an apartment in the French Quarter at 826 North Rampart. So Zach is originally from California. Um, He was... I guess you would say he was like a goofball, like by all accounts, he was like a. Um, yeah, he was a good student. He made good, good student, grade. but jokey. You know, yeah. the, the one that's always cracking jokes. And yeah. I have, you know, a theory about that that we can get into too. But um, okay. he's very likable. Um, he looks to me in photos when he's a teenager and a young adult, like basically like a cross between a surfer. And like grunge or maybe a fusion of the two. He's got this really long hair. He's 6'10", wears a size 17 shoe. Right. Um, He's good looking dude. Like good looking dude. Yeah. So um, I totally, you know, back then would have thought he was 
totes adorable. <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, and in spite of being, um, you know, a goofball and joking about everything, he did struggle with self-esteem and yes. um, feeling like a failure. And um, yes, he ran parent- for homecoming. King? Yeah, I think that was, wasn't that his mom's idea to get him to, um, yes, to be more socially involved. And, yeah, and he took that really hard when he did not win that. But also, it must mean something more than when I was in school because that was really just kind of a whatever. It was more like a just a, an honorary thing. It didn't really mean anything, but. I think it had carried more weight at his school from what I yeah, understand. Yeah, because the the way that it worked at our school was your class nominated you. It was a popularity, yes. Yes, popularity contest. And apparently there was like several people in the running for Homecoming King, which we didn't have that. Yeah, I d- maybe we didn't have it either, which is why it, did, it wasn't we that just important. Had a queen, we didn't have a king, did we? I really don't. It's real fuzzy, but well, at, at any rate, I think wasn't that was important. His mom trying to encourage him to like get more involved socially, and like you said, right. when he didn't get it, it was like a blow to his self esteem. Right. It, but you know, at our school, it would just been like whatever. <laughs> okay. I mean. I can't even remember. I just remember going to like a pep rally and they would announce everybody that was on the homecoming court. And I was like, so right. (laughs) Yeah. It was so not a big deal. It's just the pageantry maybe, but it didn't, it it didn't mean anything. Like he didn't, it it almost felt like the way that he was running for it kind of reminded me of class president because I, when I was, exactly when I was, that's what it, yeah, that's what it sounded like to me too. Um, so I'm like, did I hear that right? Did he say homecoming king? Like, who cares? But and why would that be like such of a, I guess a a a, a source of of like sadness or depression? Right. Like, yeah. I, it, yeah, everybody's different. We don't know what his psyche was like, obviously. But um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> just wait, just wait. Okay. <laughs> But yeah, so, that's just a little, that's, that is a little important to the story. It is. I feel like it is. Uh, but as a teenager, um, well, his parents had divorced and, um, I, I read that, you know, his, he traveled between like, as a teenager, Washington and Oregon, and then back to California with his mom and back and forth between his mom and dad. It sounded like they had the, before they had their kids that they had a, um, just a carefree laissez-faire attitude toward life. You know, they, like, I guess it was back then, almost like I dare say hippie, you know, they are. I think, the California. dad definitely is a rambler. Right. Yeah. Um, because. The stability he, was an issue. Right. It was, and he would go back and forth. And um, I think, it, I don't think there were ever like any big issues with his, you know, parents not wanting him to spend time between the two. So he would just go wherever they went. Yeah. And he would sometimes be with his mom and sometimes be with his dad. But as a teenager, 
he takes off on a cross country trip with his dad. And I want to say that they wound up in Florida first and made their way back to new Orleans, but they did, uh, settle down in new Orleans. And, um, yes, his dad planned a trip with his son, but it, because his dad had bartended. And so that was the whole kind of like theme of their trip of father and son, I guess, bonding trip. They were going to hit up all these party cities that have a big party scene. And that's why they ended up in New Orleans. And they went, they had other stops along the way, like you said. But um, then they end up getting, his dad ended up getting an apartment. They moved there, essentially. Right. Apparently they were going to try to, you know, put down some, at least some temporary, uh, I was going to say roots, but well, (laughs) yeah, he does end up doing that. But anyway, um, so they get an apartment, Zach enrolls in high school, but the dad leaves and then Zach drops out of high school and Gets a job in the French Quarter at a walk-up bar. Oh, yeah. So, for those who don't, yeah, or aren't familiar, those are these little, essentially, it's like a cutout. It is a window, and it's like just a person or two behind there, and you can walk up to the bar and order your drink, and then be on your way, because you can walk and open carry in New Orleans. It always makes me think of like, you know, if, if any of our listeners have visited New Orleans with say in the last 15 years, if you've seen people with these big ass beers or huge ass beers, uh, they literally are huge ass and you, that's where you can get those at those walk up windows and you just get your beard and go on your way, make your way. Yeah. So he went to work there. And he meets um, Lana, and she is a dancer in the French Quarter. Um, and Lana ends up pregnant. So <laughs> she, fi- she, I mean, I just like get from she, he meets Lana, and now she's pregnant. But basically, it happened quickly. Yes. Um, so. She's an exotic dancer that um, I thought her backstory was pretty interesting as well because she um, she's from oh I forgot she, well she yes yeah, she came from from the Dallas area she was a stripper there and her and her friends were on vacation and they meet him like on their first day or they meet um, Zach and that's basically what they do they end up partying and then i guess she ends up eventually like you said moving down there they date and then she gets pregnant very quickly and so she right so she, and then she finds out that zach is 17 and she's 27 <laughs> oh my god like so she finds this out and she's like i'm pregnant with this you know teenagers baby can you imagine can you can you no you can't because what the fuck right like (laughs) oh my gosh like not only am i pregnant with this guy that i've just been partying and binging with 
And that would scare me to death if he if I was if he's like, oh yeah, by the way, I'm 17. Like I'm gonna have a kid with a kid, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! Like that's and New so, Orleans for understandably you. Understandably, <laughs> so she's like reluctant to get like super involved, and she's like, listen, I don't. I mean, I'm obviously I'm paraphrasing, but she's like, I don't expect anything from you like i can handle this on my own yeah. like you know i got this don't i i can't put that on you because you're just a kid yourself <laughs> oh my god i would die and so she doesn't tell him when she delivers the baby for like i think it's like 10 days go by before she even yeah. um lets him know that the baby's born and you know for being 17 and, you know, a kid working in the French Quarter, like, he was, like, all in. He's like, no, I want to be a dad. I want to support you. I want to be there. I want to be with you. I want to marry you. You know, like, let's do all yeah. the things that we need to do because I want to do right by you and this baby. And she's like, eh. You know, right? Because then good. he starts bartending and he even has a couple of bartending gigs at once. So he yeah. does step up. That's for sure. And then, so they do end up, uh, well, did they have, so they get pregnant again. Right. Very so, quickly. But they get married and then they go on their honeymoon and, but they, um, but their kids are three years apart. So there is a little bit of time. So he, and then he tells his mom and his mom freaks out, of course, because she's, because she's like, he tells her that they're pregnant again. And she's like, oh, my gosh, are you serious? Like, you're just trying to get your life together. And now you're a 20-year-old dude with two babies. Right. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. It's just a lot of, uh, you know, responsibility. And and can you imagine waking up every day and being that age with two babies? He told his mom that she was on the pill, so... Clearly, she wasn't, though. I don't know. I'm not a scientist, but... I mean, that's some... Yeah, that's some strong, young little swimmers there, for sure. (laughs) I guess that's... Oh, my God. That's how that works. But you're right. Okay, so now... Maybe she forgot to take it one day or two days. I don't know. You know, I mean, so, like, bartending, a lot of drinking, crazy lifestyle... You forget. Yeah. That happens. You forget. So, yeah. So, then you have two kids. So, that's right. So, they did get married. They got married in Jackson Square in front of the cathedral, which that is a, um, the Jackson Square is central to the French Quarter in that. And I don't mean um, locationally. I, I mean, it's central to the French Quarter because it's where everyone goes and overlooks the river. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you have the cathedral in the backdrop, which if you've ever been to New Orleans, chances are you've uh, come, you've seen someone getting married there. It happens all the time. And it's, you know, like, it seems to be like spur of the moment, but it'll just pop up and there's two <laughs> people, you know, there's people getting married. Yes. Seems like there's always people getting married, whether you're there or you're, in some like back street, whatever, and then the second line comes by, and you're like, oh, okay, they get married. That's cute. Or yeah, or you run into those 
uh, bridal shower bachelorette oh, parties gosh, always <laughs> bachelorette parties like always. no not another one they're just all over oh the place gosh. all over the place yeah now they go big like they do they, they all have t-shirts and costumes and <laughs> the sashes wigs and, and it's a big i mean it's a whole thing production man. it is it is because where else are you gonna go you're gonna go to the french quarter of course what yeah <laughs> where i mean where else would you go for debauchery so um so uh, i guess so after the second baby's born it's a little girl the first baby is a boy and then they have a little girl and so um zach's like okay it's time for me to do something with my life because he realizes how much responsibility is you know yeah on his plate doesn't want he he doesn't want lana to strip anymore and Mm -hmm. You know, because he's thinking like, what kind of parents? You know, we're stripper and we're bartenders. Let me, let me. A step better up. life is what he wanted for all of them. Sure. Not that that's you can't have a good life if you're single doing that. It's not really conducive to family life. Right. But so he gets his GED and he enlists in the army for the for the primary reason that he is seeking stability and the benefits that come along with it and it it is a time when there's not too terribly much unrest going on in the world um so it seemed like an ideal time to join sure however on the heels of that the next year are is 9-11 oh and he deploys to kosovo Yes. So in Kosovo, he's dealing with the Serbs and Albanian mass executions and the mass graves. Like they see that every day. Yeah. Well, that was a NATO war. That was right. We're gonna get involved because we're in NATO and we're the world police. But you know that it's a different discussion for a different day. So there's, you know, he's dealing with the witnessing the mass executions and then seeing the graves and yes, he befriends an Albanian girl and gives her some candy one day. And then later he finds out that she was killed for fraternizing with him and his platoon. That reminds me of the scene in Heart Locker. Doesn't it? Yeah. With the little boy. Yeah. So freaking sad. And, you know, there's so much damage done to the psyche when when something I mean, I, I mean, obviously, I can't speak from a first person's perspective. But if that you, you, it's unimaginable what right. you feel after that. Right. Right. Yeah. People. T- and then people take um, things like that differently. Everybody's different and how they process that and what they take away and how you know, mentally, they can handle that. Very true. And then, um, so he makes sergeant, I would say pretty quickly, like within three years, he makes sergeant. And um, then is off to Kuwait after the 9-11 situation. And um, 
he and his friends in the platoon, um, by that time, they start to question like the weapons of mass destruction. And they feel like that they're, they feel like they're there under the guise of this. And they're, they're starting to think that it's bullshit. Right. He, um, he was a drummer too. Um, but, uh, that was just one thing that he liked to do. And you had mentioned that he's the class clown. Like he was Mm -hmm. the one to make people. And that's what he would do there as well. Like he would, he'd have his drum set up and people would come over. This is back when they were like in the barracks or whatever, and he would play for them or whatever. But he would also do that um, just to kind of lighten the mood. He was always just trying to keep people like, you know, this is, let me lighten this up. You know, yeah, we're at war and we're doing this. Um, But let's still try to have a good time and a distraction. Make the best of it, exactly. And he was a military police was what he, he was there. And then he was a gunner also. Yeah. But well, I'm pretty sure he and didn't. So he there didn't. were other people in his platoon, a woman in particular. Um, I think that they got together and that there was a group of them that would play music together, if I'm not mistaken. And then this this woman, Rachel, I think her name was Rachel in his platoon. They became they bonded over like styles of music and common interests and things like that. And they became, you know, friends. So, um, she actually was killed by a mortar strike, which was a, a, yet another traumatic thing that happens to him. Yes. He was also, um, military police. And at one point, I'm not sure if it was, if it was Kosovo or if it was actually Kuwait or, um, but he referred to himself in a letter that he wrote home as a, a Bob, which is a back office bitch. So he kind of took that as like, not as, uh, he kind of put himself down with that. Kind of looked down. So yeah, something else that, you like know, affects his, his self-esteem. Right, exactly. So, and then, um, which, you know, he was, he saw combat for sure. Except he didn't clear an embassy, but he actually saw combat. I mean... But did he clear an embassy? Right. I mean, no. I'm just asking. But but he did do his. He served his country. That's for sure. He did, and you know, yet again, um, while there, uh, he befriends a, an Iraqi boy, and then after uh, he he friends becomes friends with him and gets to know him um he finds out that he and his family are blown up in their shop wow and it's like you know it's these innocent children you know who and he have has no- kids yeah another blow yet another traumatic blow so his experience is is not a great one right and you may know more about this, but there's different reports or accounts of about how he ends up leaving the army. Like some say that he failed his PT on purpose and then others would say, okay, so we, let me back up. So he wears a size 17 shoe and I believe they gave him boots that were too small. I mean, it probably yes. didn't even make boots bigger than that they ended up having to make him like get a custom sized pair after he'd had surgery for i'm sure what you're about to say 
Well, you know, and basically what I was going to say is, is that is just that since he had these problems with the foot and had to have surgery and all of that stuff, um, some some reports say that he couldn't pass his PT because he, you know, had legitimate physical issues and that he also had developed weird rashes and started having severe headaches and what was what looks like undiagnosed PTSD. Right, the precursor to that. But um, during that time, on the, the hammer toe was early on, earlier on, um, and they did get him the adequate size boots, of course, after his surgeries. But then um, Lana and the kids, he had moved them to Germany, which is where they were stationed before they were shipped out and deployed to Kuwait. And she had hepatitis C very bad, severely bad. And they yeah, I think she almost died. Right. And she had to have chemotherapy for that. And so he, he wouldn't, they wouldn't let him leave to go back to, I think they did once, but when it um, was really, really bad and he was missing them and, and his family wanted to be with them, then they were, they just put their foot down and said, no, they, you know, you have to stay here. And that's when he was like, this is bullshit. Like it's bullshit why we're here. Um, the reason why I went into the military was to, um, to provide for my family and, and provide stability and now I can't be with my wife when she needs me the most. And so he was starting to really resent, you know, the whole military and war and then just that whole resentment. Um, that's why um, people believe that he was failing his PT and they were on his ass about it. And um, that's why he uh, got a general under honorable discharge, which... Like we talked about earlier that that is the difference between getting military benefits and not getting any military benefits, which is the whole reason why he went. Right. So here you are after everything you went through, not just the traumatic, you know, things that he saw while he was, um, you know, on the front lines, but what was happening with his family. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's really sad because he had a captain who was really pulling for him, who um, who requested or suggested that he actually get an honorable discharge based on his whole military career and how he didn't have any discipline infractions or he wasn't basically a pro- uh, a problem soldier, so to speak. Well, and he was decorated too. I can't remember what the. Um... Uh, you remember last time I called him rewards. Oh, yeah, right. He, he got rewarded. <laughs> he got a reward I, for it. Did I say award? I think I said award. He, but you do get awarded an yeah. honor. So I said reward. Yeah. He got a reward. He got a reward for it. But he, he did get an award and he was decorated. He had moved up to sergeant, like you said, pretty quickly. So the overall, if you look at his military career, like he, just because he had failed a couple of of PT, which purposely or, or, or you know, not. Well, you know, I, I kind of side with the captain here. But then um, it sounds like the people who were involved in it and the ones that were on his ass, they knew what he was trying to do or that's how they felt anyway. So it, I feel like that was kind of a personal 
attack on yeah. him, really. It's like a personal blow. Well, and I'm sure he internalized it as such, too. Well, right. And then he kept it from his wife. He kept it from Yeah, Lana. so he gets the general discharge, and he doesn't tell her straight away. He keeps it from her. That's not a, never a good thing. Never. No. Never but you know he, from your wife. You know he felt like a complete failure. Sure. Yes, and he and but he, that only made it worse. Not telling her these self esteem issues, sure that feeding into it, but you no, do not keep that from your wife. She will so find she's, out, right? And how are you not gonna? How are you gonna keep that from her? <laughs> right. You didn't think that through very well, right? So Lana is back in New Orleans with the kids by this time. Oh yeah, she left them there. Yeah. She, she she said left. bye, but she left the kids with him when she initially left. She's like, you figure this out. I'm going to New Orleans. I'm so pissed. Oh, I thought she left them with him in New Orleans. She no, left them- initially she went back. She hopped a plane back to New Orleans and was like, bye. How could He's- he take care of kids when he was active duty? She wasn't worried about it. So he had... um. He, they had put him in, I can't even remember, I don't even know military jargon, but even though he was like on his way out, exited, he might even already been out, but there was a place where he went um, to initially, so before he went back to the States, before he went back stateside. Like in transition from. Correct. And so, but she was so mad. She was just like, peace. Like, I'm out. You, so he's there with the kids having to come back and get the kids back and, and everything. But then they, they, of course, he gets back with them and they decide, okay, we're going to live together and, and we're going to, um, they got a place. I think that's when they got the place in Terrytown on the, on the West Bank. Okay. And so when they went stateside, they ended up. They got it. They got their own place, and they were gonna try to work it out. I think, um, in his mind, he was working it out. But she was still upset. She just wanted to, basically, at, for convenience, like a roommate situation, right? For financial and um, childcare reasons, right? Okay, yeah. So. And then they have to go back to bartending. Like they go back to basically their their life they were living. Before he joined the military, he went back right, to bartending. So he, gets, he he's full circle. Gets a job in the French Quarter again at Hogs Bar. Right, and this is when he meets Addie Hall. They uh, she works there too. They work opposite shifts. He works the graveyard, and she works the daytime shift. And she did not like him at all at first. She said he looked like an oversized frat boy. Yeah, well, he does or did. It's like not into you, dude. Like, not well, at all. she's right, and she's from Durham, North Carolina. She's got a history of emotional, physical, sexual abuse, and history of suicide attempts. Yes, she actually dropped out of school and became a rambler herself, and then. She wound up in New Orleans in the early 2000s. And she would get drunk and she would go off on friends, not friends, people around you. Like she would go off on you and just, they said, rip you to shreds. And she's this little petite thing. If you look at pictures, 
Um, she's this real petite. Um, she's got long, straight hair. You know, you you wouldn't imagine that she would be as I was gonna say feisty, but really she's fighty. I yeah, mean, like yes. she she gets she drunk carried and, a gun, right? <laughs> Annie Oakley's right you're right that's like volatile so you're doing drugs you're doing you're drinking you bartend no you bartend it's fine but but then you carry a gun and then you want to fight everybody in sight when you do get over the edge like that yeah she doesn't care who you are she fights her friends her roommates her drug dealer like she doesn't care she she will fight you right well so she um so, so one guy that she ends up befriending, like friend, I think she oh she does she dates him. They call him Cap Capriccio. Yes. Yeah. Well, he was the one that actually realized that he 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 was familiar with that behavior, and everybody else was like, stay away. Like she is toxic. She's volatile. Just you know, she can be mean. And he said, well, he recognized that behavior as. He, he figured she was hurt by abuse. And one night, he, she did confide in him that, yes, she was aggressively, violently sexually abused. So much so that when she was 13, she was hospitalized for a urinary tract infection or kidney infection. That's horrible. Yes, because the sexual abuse was so bad. So, yeah, that's that was that is the source of her just volatility well and i just want to mention too she has another friend um margaret sanchez and um i'll i'll go back to her a little later um but so you're right she's not into him at all (laughs) in the beginning and then i think it was cap that said uh so one night or one morning Zach stays over and hangs out with her on her shift during the day. And I guess, you know, he finds a way to uh, get her, you know, and <laughs> make, her. make her like him. <laughs> or she, he wore her down. Cause some, and she's like, whatever, dude, I will go out with you if you will shut up. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so no, I don't know. Who knows? But, um, Maybe, so, yeah, maybe I'll do these drugs and I'll drink these drinks and, okay, I can do it with Frat Boy. And now we're good. So, these two move, well, Zach and Addie move in together in 2005. Um, actually, it's into her apartment. Um, and I think now would be a good time to take a short break. Yes. And when we get back, we will pick up with... August of 2005 in New Orleans. Stand by. We interrupt this program for an important announcement. Ladies and gentlemen. Are you standing by? A very important message is coming. Are you still standing by? We interrupt for this breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news. There's a podcast that happens on Saturday night that you need to know about. All right, can I get out of serious mode? Let's go to Goofy. Okay. Make sure to listen to Louisiana Saturday Night. Robert and April are your hosts, and they talk a lot about current events. And occasionally they'll have a guest and include them on the conversation. It's raw, it's blunt, and explicit. (laughs) Well, if there is one thing I know, and that is I like dirty. Uh, Anyway, 
It's for anyone who wants to have fun and not take life so seriously. And God knows we need that these days. Robert and April on Louisiana Saturday Night. Check them out at louisianasaturdaynight.podbean.com. this song me too this is my new favorite song i think you better slow down though you're going kind of fast uh-oh it's too late uh-huh. oh my god it's a motorcycle cop that reminds me i've been listening to this new podcast called motor cop chronicles podcast motor cock chronicles motor cop Chronicles. Get your mind out of the gutter. I mean, they do wear those tight pants and boots. And bike. Oh, my God. The Iceman, the host of the show, he is so hilarious. He tells all of his stories from from people that he stopped and pulled over and crashes. He has rants that he goes on about people and, and their habits and bad habits and everything. He does it in the news section. It is so funny. You're going to have to listen to it. I guess I'm going to have to check out Motor Cop Chronicles then. Yes, you are. Ma'am, I pulled you over for doing 80 and a 45. I'm going to need your driver's license, insurance, and registration, please. Okay, well, I was not going 80. I'm not here to argue with you. I need the information now. Fine. All right, stand by. I'll be right back. I wonder if that was the Iceman. I don't know, but if it was, that means we might be on his next podcast. Maybe so. All right, ma'am, I need you to sign right here. It's not admission of guilt. The state you're going to pay a citation or show up in court. All right, thank you. Drive safe. Yes, sir. You too. Oh, my God. It was the Iceman. You see right here on this ticket? He signed it, the Iceman. We are so on the next podcast. He is going to mention us. I wonder if he thought we were cute. Oh, my God, yes. I'm definitely going to check out Motor Cop Chronicles to see if we're on there. It's so funny. Okay, so um, August 29th, 2005. Enter Hurricane Katrina. Yeah. So I do want, I do feel like, uh, I just want to talk about a few things uh, regarding Hurricane Katrina. You know, I feel like most people listening, you know, you may be too young to remember, or if you're not, then you were probably living under a rock somewhere <laughs> to not know the devastation of Katrina. And I don't mean that in a snarky way. I'm just saying I don't want to belabor like right. the Hurricane Katrina um, aftermath. However, I do think it's important to talk about how you, New Orleans, the city is built on swampland. Um, it's said to be on an India, Indian burial ground even. Right. Um and 50% of the city is below sea sits at below sea level because it sits in the bend of a river of the mm-hmm. of a river of a river of the Mississippi of the River mighty Mississippi. <laughs> Mississippi River and so that's why it's called the Crescent City because it actually is shaped like a bowl 
And um, interestingly enough, the French Quarter is actually on higher ground, which I didn't it know is. that before, Katrina. I think it's it's uh, ten feet above sea level. Um, and prior to Katrina, Louisiana had been hit by forty nine of two hundred and seventy three hurricanes. That made landfall on the American Atlantic coast between 1851 and 2004. Oh, we're a magnet, for right. sure. Like it gets in the Gulf, it's going, you know, greater than evident of this hurricane season. My gosh. Yeah, we've got a couple more out there. We have to worry so, about. Yeah, you know, it could, Katrina had winds in excess of 150 miles <sighs> per hour. That's, that is and, so fast. That is so, <laughs> like, can we just like for one second, just think about 150 mile an hour. Like think about it, the only thing you can really relate that to is being on a motorcycle or in a car. I think exactly. the fastest, I think the fastest I've ever gone was on the back of a, um, a, a crotch rocket going 160 miles an hour. You can't see objects when they're when you're passing them up it's everything is a blur like that is how fast it's going like and then imagine wind that fast coming through like you you have no like how are you gonna protect yourself from that that's that's that force is so great that's crazy um also i just want to say real quick that there's this there is the the saying that we have here in louisiana everything is um Katrina's the line of demarcation, right? Everything's yep. post and pre-Katrina. Forever a Ever. marker of time. Forever. Indelible. So I just want to say that. So, yeah, everything's... Oh, was that pre-Katrina or post-Katrina? Yeah. Oh, was yeah. that before Katrina or was that after Katrina? That it Katrina? happens in everyday conversations. I had a conversation today with my husband, and uh, we were talking about the... Um, growth of the population and in, in the town where we live and he was actually asking me he said was we were talking about people moving over here um on the north side of lake pontchartrain and he said well was that before katrina or after yeah <laughs> i mean it comes up in everyday conversation yes so zach and addy decide to ride the storm out in the french quarter they don't evacuate and that's pretty much the hurricane mentality before pre-Katrina. Pre I was going to say that. Because before, um, the only other one, well, at least in our lifetime, we had just heard stories. Betsy, Camille, yep. these hurricanes. But before that, um, Andrew was the one that I remember before before Katrina. And, yeah, it was bad. Like, Andrew was, I think, a, her uh, Category 2. And it was really bad. However, um... I, people stayed or the people didn't evacuate for that people people um they didn't they just stuck around they wanted to hunker down like they had their hurricane parties because yeah. it was a and i think that's a you know it's good to 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 point out that before katrina our generation and not just our generation you know everybody living during this time before would just stay around and i mean there's hurricane parties where you get all your supplies and you you batten down the hatches literally and you just hunker down and have a party right because there's nothing else to do waiting for these storms but um lana had actually tried to get the two of them to evacuate with um 
her and the kids and they didn't. Um, and, you know, I think it's important just to note that there was a uh, the evacuation order for New Orleans was like severely late. It yes. was already too late for most people to leave the city. Yes. Um, so as a result, you know, in the aftermath, what you have is a city that's decimated yeah. Um, 80% is under 80% of the city's underwater. 200,000 well, houses are destroyed that and was over 1800 people died. Right. I think it was 1833, but um, it's important for everybody to remember too, that the hurricane was bad enough. The winds did damage, but it was the levee breaches that just destroyed the city. Right. It was the accumulation of the water and then the levees not hold well from the storm surge. That's what did it is, is the, the wall of water and then the storm surge. And then the fact that the levee systems failed and that's what flooded the city. So it's her hurricane Katrina for new Orleans is yes, a natural disaster, but partially or mostly yes. a, a man-made disaster right there was a and it got all of the press well yeah absolutely there was a professor at berkeley who's who said that it was the it was the second no he said it was two of the most costly engineered by man um i don't know if it was structure but basically it was the costliest man-made disaster yes man-made disaster second only by chernobyl yeah i did yep i do remember reading that that's exactly right that's huge and so there's no infrastructure um people are displaced and they're in the superdome in the convention center you know the the government local and federal and this is not laying blame it's just facts the government was severely delayed and sending help in. Yeah. Um, Do you remember seeing all the footage everywhere? It was just rooftops. It was just nothing but rooftops. And then everything, all the refineries and such, it was fires after that. Yeah. Because it was just the gas lines were just exposed. Fires all around the city, too. Yes. And then we listened to it on the radio. We had evacuated to our moms in Mississippi. I remember that. And I had my two-week-old at the time. And it just one by one, it would just say this happened and then that happened and we're just like just hovered over that the radio just thinking oh my god this is so horrible like this is horrible and then they had said okay the roof is being blown off the superdome and i was and i made the comment i don't know if you remember this i made the comment i said where are the saints gonna play and you got on me and you said what everybody is He's probably not going to make it in this city. And you're worried about where the Saints are going to play. Because the you know I had totally forgotten about that. But you know what is so funny about that is because that was my line. I should have been the one. I know. Going, but where are the Saints going to play? Right. Wait, she? Right, because you're the Saints fan of, <laughs> of us. But I, that was just my first thought. It just kind of came out of my mouth. And you're just like, 
why are you worried about what the Saints are going to play? I don't like, remember that. Oh, my God. All I remember of that morning is um, we we were sleeping on the floor in the living room because, you know, obviously y'all are there with the baby and need, you know, the actual bedroom. So we camped out on the floor in the um, living room. And I just remember mom walking in there and I just opened my eyes and she said the levees broke. Yeah. And I said, what do you mean the levee's broken? She said, New Orleans is underwater. Right. It it was the nightmare that I had heard living down there when I lived down there because I lived down there pre-Katrina. I mean, right before I moved in two thousand, moved back home in 2004. But I remember just even people would say it on the radio. They're like, oh, we live in the Crescent City. We live in a bowl. If it rains so... They were worried about torrential rains flooding, flooding the city because it's a, it's surrounded by the Mississippi River, um, bayous and tributaries, but then also the huge Lake Pontchartrain. Yeah. It's literally surrounded by water, and that was its biggest fear, and that's exactly what happened. It is. It's, it's It was a culmination of, of all of the... Things that you had always heard could potentially happen, they happened. Yes. And so... Um, the river went into the lake. They were worried yep. about Lake Pontchartrain and that being contaminated. And I just remember the the um, the things that stick out to me, too, in, in the midst of all the tragedy, of course, but all the people who said, well, we always wanted to clean up New Orleans, but it actually made it worse. You know, you feel like that would be it an did. enema to kind of wash it out, but it actually... You know, all the sludge and and mud and, and muck everywhere. But do you remember the bumper stickers were hilarious? Like they said, New Orleans, proud to swim proud home. Proud to swim home. Yeah. St. Taminard. St. Taminard. Yeah, well, that's true because I live on the north side of Lake Pontchartrain, and it's a bedroom community uh, to New Orleans, or it was pre-Katrina. But most people moved over to the North Shore, and our population has grown um, exponentially since that time. So much so that, I mean, it, it used to be a quiet t- place. Um, and <laughs> back in the just, day, <laughs> back in the day, it was a quiet place. There was no such thing as traffic. You never had to worry about crowds of people or anything. But um, it's gotten so heavily populated now that. Um, it's hard to find homes to buy. Yeah. Um, and they are now widening the interstates to be six lanes instead of four. And we've just seen tremendous growth. Um, well, your insurance it. went up, right? Yeah. On your so property? Immediately. Well, actually, we closed on the house two weeks before Katrina. And um, I, the insurance uh, regulations changed dramatically after that. And so now everybody who lives in certain areas and flood zones are required to carry flood insurance, which is not a bad thing. It just, there was price gouging after the storm, which yeah. was terrible. But yeah. anyway, we could do an entire episode <laughs> right. on Katrina. But, okay. We um, said we weren't so going to do this. The other thing that's crippled is the, is communications. Um, as far as telephone, internet, there's, there's no way to, to communicate with anyone. So, um, Lana has no way to, to communicate with Zach. And actually she, she, she wonders if, if he even made it, um, because she, she can't get in contact with him. There was a lot. Um, so 
like you said, the French Quarter stays high and dry. They're 10 feet above sea level, but the city's basically a ghost town. And, you know, what this does is it, it's, it, it ushers in like a primitive um, lifestyle where, you know, you're bartering for supplies and um, Zach and Addie actually would trade alcohol for supplies when they needed them. That was their currency. Um, yeah. Yeah, it became a form of currency. Whatever you had, you know, it was just, I remember that too. I remember trading things and I wasn't even in the city, but um, there's uh, very little um, police presence there. They start to dabble in drugs, doing cocaine and they're living this very like free lifestyle where the laws cease to exist. Um, yeah, they would have and, sex out in the middle of the street. Yeah, there was. I remember reading that they even had sex in the middle of the street, and they they, they had the place to themselves. Can you imagine? Like you have your yes. own little city area to yourself. So they are featured in once things you know, people are able to start coming into the city. They're featured in local and national TV and newspaper stories. There's a a piece in the New York times and about them and their story. And they become local favorites in the French court. Everybody knows Zach and Addie. Um, She was the French quarter princess, French quarter queen. She was dubbed. I think she, I think that's what it was. Um, but there's images of them in these, in these write-ups, uh, on the internet and you can find the, you can actually find the articles too. Um, oh yeah. So they were, they were just basically like the (laughs) The well-known popular couple during Katrina, um, in the French quarter. But so, uh, that is actually how Lana finds out that he is oh, right. very much alive. I think a friend of hers either She's... sees something on the TV or in the newspaper and calls Lana and is like, hey, uh, there's like, the, Zach's like in the whatever, whatever. And she's like, oh, look at him, you know, like living his best life. Right. You like, know, and like I worried sick. I thought you were dead. I didn't know if you were alive. And here you are living it up. right the streets of new orleans the french quarter getting press coverage and all of that craziness so um she's like listen uh i need help like i need you know i need money i need help with the kids like something's got to give so um uh, i guess it was a couple to few months after the storm uh, things start to slowly, you know, come, people start to come back, businesses start to come back and, you know, the recovery is in full force, you well, know, like. And even before that, that's when, you know, you want to talk about how it was governed or whatever. There was, like, it was a total shit show. This, like, when they had all their freedom and the, and everyone had left, but then at that point, the National Guard started coming in. That's when General Honoré shows up. And because they, they had to restore. So there was a lot of looting and things like that as well. But he had to restore, like, law and order. And that's when it started to feel like the streets of Baghdad. Because then it was martial yeah. law at that point. 
And that's when he started to um, have flashbacks of being in in the war because New Orleans was war torn at that point. Essentially, yeah, it, was it, it very much looked war torn, and it felt police state ish with the uh, National Guard presence. It, absolutely, it did. So I can see where that would bring those memories rushing back. Right. Um, but you you know, Lana's like, okay, we're gonna have to figure something out because uh, yet and still, I need help. So, um, <clears throat> he starts to get the kids every other weekend, and Addie at first is like, oh, okay, this will be cool, and then she starts to get jealous and doesn't want anything to do with him or the kids when they're there for visitation. Um, so she always finds something else to do when he's going to have them, but they actually both go back to work. Um, and he goes to work driving a delivery truck, uh, yes. for a grocery store and she goes back to work in a bar. But they're, and then they're the whole time they're doing drugs and still like their party lifestyle. Like you said, yeah, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't slow down on the party, <laughs> right. uh, lifestyle but they did go back to work because you know they right. just had to to make ends meet um but she Addie quickly becomes like a customer favorite in the bar and um she's very entertaining and she dances on the bar and you know yeah. hangs on um customers and Je Zach starts to get jealous obviously I mean yeah the party I, mean, I know girl. she's she's hustling and she's earning her money and she's doing that right know. she's trying to make the customers you know they'll start tipping yeah. you know you have to be that's part of it she's the party girl you know get the party going so, so come on um, Zach, get over it he actually uh cheats on her with a guy and you yes. know says that he's a little bi. Right. Um, right. He, he and then, the, I mean, he, you know, hey, I mean. Because their drug is, dealer finds out because he's also dealing his boyfriend drugs, too. <laughs> so that's yeah. Well, that there you go. That's, that's. Uh, that's the French Quarter for you. Yeah. Demonstrates how close-knit the French Quarter is. Right. Um, no secrets. The drug dabbling actually turns into like full out drug problem with cocaine and they have these explosive fights and he does become violent and hits her and uh, their relationship is just starting to deteriorate. Just volatile. Yes. She's, yeah. So um, they actually decide to um, get another apartment together Um and uh, this is the apartment at 826 North Rampart, which is actually above a famous voodoo museum. It's now called Bloody Mary's um, before. I've, I'm not exactly sure. It may have just been Voodoo Museum, the name of it. But I actually think you and I have been there. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I can't be certain, but I feel like uh, the location is the uh, Voodoo Museum that we went to in the late 90s, early 2000s. Well, it's across from Armstrong Park, right? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So yeah. I think I think we went there. Um, obviously, it was well before this. 
but um, I, I do think we've been there. I can't be sure. We um, did a walking tour, a haunted walking tour, and we ended up, right? That's what we did? Yep. Yep, and yep, we ended that's up exactly there. what we did. Yes. And that but, that's when we went to Marie Laveau's tomb. Yeah, I remember that. That was that was a fun time. Down but, in Louisiana. So when they decide to get this apartment together, Zach pays up front two months rent. Um, and she, right. Addie then goes to the landlord and is like, listen, I really don't want to live with him. Like, can you please take his name off the lease? I just want it to be in my name. This is after he's put up the first two months rent. Well, I saw where this must be like a, just like a real laid back, low key landlord because they didn't sign anything at that point. He just said, okay, here's the deal. Give me the money. And they were going to do that later. And before they were able to, that's just, I found that in my research. So that's why she was able to go and say, hey, just put it in my name. So she just went around right. back and was like, don't put him on the lease. Right. right. And Which then, is shitty because he's putting up the money for your first two months rent. And then you're like, no, you can't live here. And she goes into like this um, yeah, rage he, about his uh, homosexual affair. And she's like... Um, he does. He publicly pose. humiliating him for it, degrading him, and tells all they everybody it. they know. Like she, yeah, she was just real shitty about that. She like throws it up She's in his face. Very shitty, and you know, I'm sure he was con- completely like humiliated and embarrassed. And so this this spawns a, a violent fight between the two of them, oh. and. This is when he calmly strangles her during this fight to death. Yeah. So. Yeah. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that. there, that's yeah. horrible. Right. So he takes Addie's journal and writes in, in there, you know, he, well, he writes a confession um, and about, killing her and he details um what happens after you know that's one thing like he was a good writer and he always wrote um letters back home to his mom and when he was with lana he would write letters back to her and he was very vocal and his personality would come through in those letters so i'm not surprised that he picked up the journal and and just put everything in there, like documented what he did. Um, that is interesting, which is why we were able to tell the story and what happened. Right. So without the, the journal entries, nobody would really know what, what had happened, but it, um, yeah, I know. Hang yeah. on to your, <laughs> yeah, this is where hang it gets, on to your high knees because it's um, comforting. You're about to be real uncomfortable. So, you know, he details everything that happens after she's dead and he confesses to defiling her corpse, sleeping with her corpse next to him in the bed. Um, he ultimately puts her in the bathtub. He gave um, her a haircut, too. Yep. He cut her hair. That's crazy. So, like, you're going to go ahead, like, you're going to have sex with a couple times. With a dead body and then give it a haircut. 
You always that's wanted her hair bizarre. short. Wanted her I hair mean, short. I think that's more like, you know what, I'm pissed off. Like, you liked your hair, like, long or, you know. I'm going to make it something you didn't like. Probably. Maybe. Yeah. Well, he calls his friends to tell him that she moved back to North Carolina and that he's planning on taking off and traveling. Because <laughs> that's normal. And Right. So, he just, okay, so... Suffice it to say, he's getting up every day and going to work, and then at night he's going out on party binges and going to strip clubs and having lots of sex with lots of different people, doing a lot of drugs, and then coming home every night to her corpse. And then, you know, at some point he's like, hmm, what, you know, I might need to do something about this situation. Yeah, he called Lana during this because their anniversary had popped up during this time frame. And he asked her if, like, after he's, like, on his one of his Coke and, and drinking binges in the strip bars and called her up and one, said, let's go have a drink. It's our anniversary. And she's like, that's not appropriate. We each have right. um, relationships. And he's like, come on. I want to spend it with my favorite stripper. And she's yep. like, uh, click. <laughs> This is all the while <laughs> Addie's body. And, and okay, so, and we'll just, you know, it, he decides to dismember her with a hacksaw to dispose of the body. <sighs> and. Oh, boy. <sighs> yeah. After he dismembers her, he cooks her body parts and leaves them on the stove in pots. Yeah, he, and in the oven in a um, roasting pan. Yeah, her head was was her head in the pot or was that in the oven? Okay, so in the pot he put on the top of the stove he put her hands and feet in one, and then her head in another, Ooh. and then he's got he put her arms and legs in the roasting pan in the stove. Okay, or oven. I'm sorry, same thing, and um. <laughs> Her torso he puts in a giant black garbage bag and puts it in the refrigerator. And he turns the AC down to 60. Yeah. And, you know, meanwhile, he's carrying on with life just normal, you know. I mean, I say normal, but he's in this, like, drug-induced, crazed, sex, escapade. Right, lots of cocaine, lots of alcohol. he's spiraling out of fucking control. And how could you not? Right. He just, he he did, I saw an account where he, what bothered him was the fact that, well, maybe I shouldn't say it bothered him, what um, disturbed him or what he he was not okay with is the fact that he wasn't even okay Oh, look, I'm, I'm struggling to find the words. He, It did not bother him that he killed her and dismembered her. And so that's what disturbed him, if that makes sense. Right. So what bothered him was the fact that he was unbothered. Right, right. That's what essentially I was trying to say. Words. But no, it's true. I mean, he's like, I just calmly strangled her and then I hacked her up and then I cooked her and then I'm going and doing my things every day. And they're like, why does this not bother me? But, you know, 12 days after he strangles her, (sighs) he goes to um, the Omni Hotel Bar 
and he drink. He's on a drinking binge. He's there yeah. for hours drinking, hanging out, and then um, that is prior to throwing himself off the roof. Yeah, and that's that's where but, the police find him, and then find his note. But then when so, they when that yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, you go ahead. No, that's what led them back to his apartment. Yep. That that new um, NOPD that is. And that is where they found written on the wall. He had um, put Lana's phone number so um, they could call and contact her. Um, he had Metallica lyrics on there. Um, basically, fuck it all. I can't remember. Maybe you do. But um, also, please help me with the pain. And, yeah. And also a big arrow pointing to... The stove with all the body parts like that. Yeah. So when they get to when police get to the apartment and they walk into the scene, they see that arrow paint that's painted pointing to the oven. And there's also the written on the uh, or written spray painted on the wall. Total failure. I loved her. Call Lana Bowen, Lana (laughs) Bowen. Um, And then in the bathroom is. I'm sorry I couldn't finish. And then uh, on the stove, above the stove, it says, don't look. And then the hallway, it says, help me stop the pain. Oh, I mean, just that, that gives me like seven, the movie seven vibes. Yeah, so exactly. Because when detectives open the um, pots on the stove, they see a human head that was skin peeling off. The hands and feet, and the yellow, arms and legs, and, and the pan. A yellowish. And the and the, it was in a yellowish liquid. That's so sad. Well, he's dubbed the Katrina Cannibal butch, and the Butcher of New Orleans. Oh, but the butcher, yeah. there's actually no evidence of actual cannibalism. Right. And then shame on Times Picayune because they did a piece where they basically blame this on voodoo because they lived above this voodoo temple like you mentioned before and i was surprised to hear that it was actually not a national media outlet it was actually a local from tom's picking which is why i say shame on you because that that was just that actually was only for sensationalism oh absolutely it was and um they took it even further interviewing like um what are they called voodoo priestess yes um because that's an actual religion but they take it so far as to interview um actual voodoo priestess and um say that it's because the spirits were so active after katrina and that that was a force that was like um pushing him towards this this sort of um violent un there's no words for for, no, for this but here's the I, thing i mean I, I i'm at a loss here's the thing with voodoo is that is actually for healing that is not like that's not what you do you don't like put spells on so to speak on somebody to for them to commit murder and cause harm it's more of a healing, and like you said, it's spiritual. 
And it is a religion. Well, it's been turned into something that it's dark not and to, yeah, yeah, dark, dark uh, magic and not. I, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I was in a relationship that ended badly, and I bought a voodoo doll. <laughs> and I put that bitch in the freezer, and I ran over him in the driveway, and. <laughs> Threw him in the. You did it all the wrong, all the wrong way. You should have did that in love and light. But anyway. um, Oh no! But I was young and stupid. Oh, of course. I threw him in the ditch, you know, and like. (laughs) Voodoo's been bastardized for sure, but um, that um, it's made me feel good, damn it. Sure, and that's probably (laughs) what it was for. But that that was one thing that, and I've even heard a couple of podcast episodes, maybe even just one that actually said this was because of voodoo and it's not their fault because there is information out there bad information that blames this whole situation and and really just takes the when you blame it on voodoo that takes the blame off of zach who actually murdered addy but um i don't feel like this was voodoo at all and i i believe in voodoo and and the it runs to the city i don't either what what i feel is that this is severe mental psychosis whether it's whether it was okay first of all let me walk that back i'm not qualified to make this uh (laughs) assumption first of all this is just what i think right i I think it was psychosis that was probably drug induced however he clearly had mental health problems prior to yes and it just the drugs and alcohol just exacerbated it right and then addie's personality she certainly didn't deserve that but that certainly didn't help. Um, I can imagine if she was so toxic as she was, who knows what she was saying. And, um, well, we do know she was um, holding his uh, sexuality over his head, throwing it that back up in his face. We do know that, but we don't know what she was saying What prior to, just before he strangled her. So that probably touched, that triggered, I'm sure, as well as... Oh, that was absolutely the trigger, right? For we sure. know that. Um, New Orleans being war-torn just uh, put him right back, I'm sure, in the mind frame of being in these in combat. You know, all these things, of course. That's what that feels like more than voodoo to me. Absolutely. So. I, I don't... You know, I came across that, and it was in a documentary, and also in... Um, an episode on a TV show. It's all documented in the show notes. Um, but no, I by no means think that. But I do want to mention that uh, Addie's friend, Margaret Sanchez, in June... Two, okay, so fast forward. June. Well, let me say this too first. <laughs> I remember this back vividly. Up this. Let, me, let, me, let me back up my backup. So... First of all, her friend, Margaret Sanchez, and I do remember this vividly. In June 2012, a 22-year-old dancer, Jaren Lockhart, she's a Bourbon Street dancer at Temptations, her body is found in what is nearby Mississippi Sound, Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, dismembered. And... 
the torso was stabbed. Her head was decapitated. Her legs and like all of her body parts were strewn like all across the sound. Well, she was seen on video surveillance leaving the French Quarter with Margaret Sanchez and her boy Margaret's boyfriend, Terry Speaks, who was uh, a sex offender but had previously failed to register. Um, but they're seen leaving the French Quarter with Jaron Lockhart the night or the the night before the bodies found floating in the the body parts are found floating in the sound but the the murder is believed to have taken place at their apartment on Connecticut Avenue in Kenner which is a Kenner is a suburb of New Orleans um and there's video surveillance on a bridge that um uh connects Mississippi and Louisiana. Um, so you can see the car leaving New Orleans, their car, and then you can see it traveling back into Louisiana. Um, so they are actually convicted. Uh, Terry Speaks is serving life in prison, and Margaret Sanchez is uh, serving 40 years. And the motive is unknown, but she actually, and I tried, so there's a documentary. It's called Zach and Natty. I tried to get my hands on it, but I was unable to because um, it hasn't been released to the public. But she actually appears in this documentary and talks about uh, her theory of uh, her friend's murder-suicide. So yeah, that's what's crazy to me is that I remember that like it happened yesterday, but I don't remember Zach and Natty. Yeah, so here you are. You have a friend all these years later that um, is also involved in a murder dismemberment case, okay, right? Like, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, like, but how fucking crazy is that Yeah, right that's, there? that's wild. That, that whole story is wild. Yeah, so we hope you enjoyed that. And if you like it, please give us a five-star review wherever you rate your podcast. And you can reach out to us um, on Twitter. We are so disco PC. Um, you can email us at Southern Discomfort Podcast at gmail.com. And we're on Facebook, Southern Discomfort Podcast. So, yeah, until next time, take care. Good night. You've been listening to Southern Discomfort with April and Christine. As you can tell, this is one of the most unique podcasts on the internet. So we want you to be able to reach out to us. Send emails to Southern Discomfort Podcast at gmail.com. On Facebook at Southern Discomfort Podcast. And on Instagram at Southern Discomfort PC. And for shows, visit southerndiscomfort.podbean.com. And this podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts. Till next time, keep one eye open because you never know what you might see. This is Southern Discomfort. Signing off.